Corinthians chapter 5 once again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up again at verse 11 and we'll read through verse 21. As we focused on verses 16 through 21 this morning, we're going to go back uh, and focus particularly on verse 14 and 15 this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let us hear then the very word of God to us. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As far as the read of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Father, we ask that you, your, that you will use your spirit in reading, in the reading and preaching of your word to teach and edify us Give your servant what is needed to accomplish this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three things regarding this passage tonight. First of all, that that one is controlled by the love of Christ. Controlled by the love of Christ. Because Christ died for all. And our third point will be living for Christ. Each one of those applicable to this evening as we heard another profession of faith from one of our people, somebody who now has testified and stated in a certain way that it is the love of Christ that does indeed control them. And why that love of Christ controls Ella is because she knows that Christ died for her, so now there is a desire on her part to live for Christ. That should be true, my friends, not only for Ella in making her profession of faith, that that is what is true for each one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. That we should be controlled by His love because He died for all. 
Therefore, there ought to be a desire on our part to live thankfully for Christ's glory and for Christ's honor. First of all, then, the idea that we are controlled by Christ's love. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. I guess to understand why it is one would be controlled by Christ's love, we perhaps first ought to just stop and reflect upon the love of Christ. To do that, let's go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, chapter 3. Start at verse 14 of Galatians or of Ephesians chapter 3, the 14th verse. Paul again writing to another one of the churches through the Spirit writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This love of Christ that controls us is a love that surpasses our ability to ever fully comprehend and know. It goes beyond our human capacities. See, we we can know and understand another person's love for us. That does not surpass knowledge. That we understand because when we love someone and someone says they love us, we understand what that means. We get it. But when Christ says he loves us, that knowledge, the, the knowledge of the love of Christ for us is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. It is so broad, it is so high, it is so deep which is what Paul said in the verse before, that that we'll never, ever be able to fully comprehend that love. It is so magnificent. It is so awesome. It is so fulfilling. So glorious. So perfect. So holy. A love that will never be able to comprehend the fullness and the extent of, will never run to the end of that love. That love will always be beyond our ability and capacity to ever fully know. And because that love is so great, and as we learn in Romans chapter 8, that that love is so strong. That love is so strong. That love is so eternal that there is nothing that can ever separate us from Christ's love for us. It is that love 
You see, that controls us. It is the love of Christ for us that controls us. You know, we actually miss something here. The, the word control is, is, is actually a little weak. The Greek word that's used here okay, actually has more the idea of being dominated by. Not just being controlled by, but being dominated by. Being overwhelmed by. Maybe some of you are, are football fans and, and you, every once in a while, perhaps you, you read through high school scores or college scores. Doesn't happen that often in professional sports as I look at the scores that come in uh, the next days. But, but oftentimes, sometimes you'll see those, those over lopsided scores. You know, those 70 to nothing scores. And you go, wow, that team really dominated. Well, that's what Christ's love does. That's what Paul is saying. Christ's love just overwhelms. Christ's love dominates us. Christ's love is so magnificent that it dominates our thinking. It dominates our speaking. It dominates our action. It dominates our will. It overpowers and controls, not in a forceful way, not in a a dictatorial way, but in a benevolent way, just the thought of Christ's love in the heart of a believer overwhelms them. So that we are overwhelmed by the tsunami, as it were, of Christ's love overcome by that love, caught up in that love, fully, completely, so that our lives are lived within that love. The love of Christ controls us. You see, and it's not only just the extent of that love to to think about, it's not only that that being dominated by that love, being overwhelmed by that love, but it's also the idea that that love is so undeserved. The continual cry of the believer is, Lord, I am not worthy of this love. Lord, I am not worthy of your grace. Right, we aren't. We are never worthy of God's love. It is never that we have made something so great of ourselves. It is never that we have done something so magnificent, that never that we have done some work that is so perfect, so holy, so pure, that God must love us. He ought to love us. He should love us. Now, here's the most overwhelming part of Christ's love is that it's all undeserved. I am an undeserved recipient of the love of Christ. Ella is an undeserved recipient of the love of Christ. Each of you as a believer is an undeserved, never worthy, never worthy of that love. But we receive it anyway. It comes anyway. 
This undeserved love overwhelms us so that we are controlled by that love. And Paul's making this argument back again to the Corinthians in this second letter. There have been many charges leveled at Paul over the course of the year or two or three of his absence from Corinth. Many bad things have been spoken about Paul. His motives, his person. There's even been those who have maligned his appearance. There have been those who have said, what kind of preacher is he? Look at what he looked like. What kind of preacher is he? Did you hear how he talks? All of these things, all these human frailties that that Paul readily admits he had have been leveled as charges that, that he's not really that he's not really motivated by love. Paul says, folks, I've got to tell you. i got to tell you. You may think I'm out of my mind. But I've got to tell you, that which controls me, that which dominates me, is this undeserved, extensive love of Christ for me. It just becomes... The pulse of my life, the heartbeat, that daily, constant reminder that I'm loved with an everlasting love, that I'm not worthy of, but I am loved fully, completely, eternally by that love. How is it that Christ demonstrates that love? Well, Paul tells us in that, those verses we're looking at as well. Look at 14 again. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he who died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He has died for all. Where do we see the love of Christ exemplified? He died for all. Should not the fact that Christ died for all be that which then motivates us, that which controls us, that which we allow to dominate, that which we allow to overpower and overwhelm us? Because Christ died for all. What does Paul mean by that? Well, first of all, there's an important little word there. Christ died for. For. Why is that important? Because it reminds us of the fact that he is the substitute. It reminds us of the fact that he is the one who steps in. Even out of the mouth of of Caiaphas the high priest, in John chapter 11, verse 50. Okay, Isn't it better that one man die for the nation? Yeah. Yeah, he died for. This is my blood, Jesus said at the supper. This is my blood which is given for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. I'm going to die for you. I am going to suffer hell for you. 
I am going to suffer the full wrath of God against every single solitary sin you have ever committed, that you have ever even allowed to enter into your mind, that small little white lie you told. I'm going to cover that with my blood. That lustful look, I'm going to cover it with my blood. That gossip, I'm going to cover it with my blood. That hate in your heart, I'm going to cover it with my blood. I'm going to cover it all, all. I will be the substitute. I will be the one. Verse 21, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. He put on Him, my sin, my iniquity. The love of Christ controls. Why? Because Christ died for. He died for. He also died not only for me in terms of being my substitute, he also died as my representative. Remember this morning, youth group, we were we were looking at the talking about that sixth chapter in the Westminster Confession about the effects of the fall. And we talked about the fact that not only are there actual sins of which you and I are responsible, but there is also that original sin. Christ died for my sin. The actual sins that I commit. But He also died as my representative to take away even that original sin that is set deep within our hearts and souls. Paul in writing in Romans chapter 5 uses that picture He uses the picture of the fact there was an Adam who came and because of him there is sin. But there is also Christ who came as a representative. He died. He died as a representative of those who are in that new covenant, not that covenant of works of which we stand condemned, but those who are part of that covenant of grace. Christ died for. But he also the text says He died for all. The One has died for all. What does Paul mean? Has Paul somehow become a universalist? Has Paul all of a sudden decided everybody's saved? Is that what he means by the all? Well, if one were to read the Apostle Paul, one would realize, well, no, obviously that isn't what Paul means here. The all... We have to come to understand. So let me define it for you. The death of Christ, the dying of Christ, is sufficient for all mankind. There's nothing lacking in the penalty that Christ paid. It is sufficient for all. But it is efficient only for the believers. It is sufficient, it is big enough to cover all. But it is sufficient to cover every single believer. Fully, wholly, completely. Who is Paul writing to? Is Paul writing 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to the world? 
Is that who it's addressed to? Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Who is he writing to? Is he writing to the world? No, he's not writing to the world. He's writing to the church of Corinth. He's writing to believers. This defines the all. Those who are part of the body of Christ, as we looked at this morning. Those who are in Christ. See, the all not only needs to be defined, the the all is modified. It's modified by those who are loved by Christ, by those who live for Him. It is modified by those who come to faith in Christ. Those are the all. Christ died for all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Ella stood this evening. She made a profession of faith. She confessed her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Her faith. Christ died for all those who come to faith. Christ's blood covers all of Ella's sins as well as it covers all those who come to faith in Christ. Let me explain it another way. Go to the book of Romans chapter 5. Book of Romans chapter 5. We're going to read the same kind of language that Paul wrote there. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, turn over a chapter to Romans chapter 6. Verse 8. Who is the all? Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. What is necessary in order to live with Christ? To die with Christ. How do we die with Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We die in Christ when we are in Christ. When we are in fellowship with Christ. When we have placed our faith and trust in Christ. Christ's death on the cross becomes our death. That's what Paul is saying. And by that, by that faith, by trusting in Christ's death, by trusting in Christ's sacrifice, by trusting in Christ's atonement for sin, I have life. Control. By Christ's love. For Christ died for all. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Third point, the message tonight, living for Christ. See, when somebody comes for profession of faith, we ask them questions about their faith. We ask them questions about where the teaching of God's salvation comes from. We insist to them that they find that only in the Old and New Testaments of God's Word. That truth God conveys. We ask them the question about who God is, His character, His being, who Christ is, His nature. We ask the question about, do you understand your unworthiness, the fact that you are a sinner? Do you understand and do you confess that your salvation is through Christ alone? And then we come with a question, do you, you heard it from Ella tonight, do you? Confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. Do you promise? Do you promise that you're going to live for Him? See, in that question is this. We are not dead. We are alive. We cannot live for something if we are dead. Far too many Far too many believers, far too many Christians who should think better, who should know better according to the truth of God's Word, live as dead Christians. They don't live alive. They're still dead. Why? Because they're unwilling to give up the thought that Christ has not fully saved them. And because they're so overwhelmed by that guilt, rather than by Christ's love, they don't grow. They stay at the same point. They always come to the same point, and boom, that's where they stop. Not really used within the kingdom because they don't feel like they have anything to contribute. Why? Because they're dead. Paul tells us, he who died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. See, he's not talking. See, because Christ died, we died in Christ. But Christ arose, we also arose in him. We are alive. We were spiritually dead, but God has made us alive. And the question we ask at a profession of faith is really asking that question. Are you ready to live For Christ. Are you ready to seek Christ's glory? First, foremost, only. How does one live for Christ's glory? How does one live this life of Jesus as Lord? Well, one, it's a holy life. 
It's a holy life. The, the question we ask at a profession of faith deals with putting to death the old man. It deals with dealing with sin that is in our heart, that is in our mind, and is in our life. It says we're ready for the battle. We're ready for the struggle. We're ready to deal with it. Living for Christ means seeking to live that holy life. Putting away the things of sin. No longer following that pattern of this world. But living that transformed life. But what did the catechism tell us this morning? That we're holy in Christ. Live that. Just live as those holy people. But it's more than just a holy life. It's also a witnessing life. That's why the rest of this chapter goes on to talk about being ambassadors and telling others. We spoke at length about that this morning, so I don't want to overdo it but once again that's part of what it means to live for christ that part of what it means to live as jesus as lord it's not keeping it quiet it's not keeping it silent it's going out there to a world that is dying with the message of life the message of jesus christ the message of the one who has died in order to give us life it means being the leper who comes back to the feet of Jesus and says, thank you. Thank you. Here's my life. What would you have me do, Christ? What would you have me do? How would you have me live? That's what Ella has done here tonight. She stood before you as witnesses. She stood before her family. She stood before several generations of family who in God's providence has blessed his covenant promises faithfully. She has stood and she has said, I want to live Christ. Out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for all that Christ has done for me. I am so overwhelmed by Christ's life, love for me because I know he died for me. That I want to live my life thankfully to him. But Ella, you're not alone. That is the testimony of every believer. We want to live for Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Father, we again thank you for your word, for this beautiful reminder of this great, overwhelming love of Christ for us. For the fact that once again we, we were met with Christ who has died for us. He has died for all those who place their faith and trust in him. And Lord, that faith, it doesn't even come from us. That faith comes from you as a gift. How could we not respond to such a magnificent love but to say, Lord, here's my life. Let me be, let me be, Lord, a living sanctuary to you.
Lord, take my life. Take my voice. Take my silver. Take my gold. Take it all, Lord. Take it all. I want to serve you. Not, Father, out of fear. Not out of dread. I want to serve you out of thanks for what you've already done. It's not to earn your love. It's a response to your love. Father, thank you for reminding us tonight that the love of Christ controls us. In his name, God's people say, Amen.